So in Mark, we have a little bit, much more action, less teaching, and but there are some powerful teachings that are there, and some are short often, and memorable, and challenging, and that's what we've been looking at in the last two passages. Spoke of Jesus as the one who's come to forgive sins, as the one who's come to call the righteous, not sinners, to re- or to call the sinners, not not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And in, after this, we find that the Pharisees asked Jesus a question about fasting. He asks him, uh, well, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? So fasting is a practice that um, we don't really do in America, <laughs> but actually in a, lot of church, in a lot of churches around the world, they do fasting, and uh, it's been interesting as I've gotten out of our country a little bit more, out of our own culture, that fasting is a part of it, and that just times of prayer, and it's something commended in the Bible as well. Um, but it's interesting, but the disciples of Jesus here did not fast. He says there's a time coming when they'll fast. Jesus tells us about fasting in Matthew chapter 6. Fasting is when you go without food or without a portion of your food. So, for example, Danny would drink only water for a time so that then he could devote himself to prayer. And so, so we might devote ourselves to God or show repentance and so, and so on. The, the, um, and so it's been a religious practice within the Jewish community. In the Old Testament, it's talked about. And in, and in our day, it's practiced as well. But the, it was, so it was somewhat surprising that the disciples of Jesus were not fasting because it was a very common thing for them to do. And Jesus answers their question in two ways. One is he says that that it's not the right time. There is a time to fast, but the time when the bridegroom is with them celebrating is not that time. You don't celebrate the wedding Ceremony, the bridegroom being there, is the time of celebration. But he says there's coming a time um, when there will be a time to fast. But the other thing that he says is that um, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from it, making the tear worse. And so what he's saying, he begins to teach them is that Jesus was bringing something new. They couldn't just continue on in the same way they were. They had to let themselves be challenged, and they needed to be ready to receive this new teaching. And he compares it to a cloth. If you have an old cloth, when, when a cloth, after it's washed and so on, is going to stretch somewhat. And so if you put, um, let's see, the new, <laughs> I get this straight in my head. You put the, the new one on the old, is that right? That's going to be where the problem is, right? So, okay, so put a new one on the old, it's going to stretch, it's going to break. So, and, and tear, the, uh, and tear the, the old garment. And then the other one, which I get a little bit better, I'm not sure why, because I've never actually observed any of this happening, is that when, um, of course, wine was the common drink, in, in, that, in that day, because there was abundant grapes. 
And so they would put it not in glass bottles, like in France, but they would put it in skins of animals. And uh, I actually put a little picture of one of those on the Evergreen Church Forum. And uh, so you can see, and on our Evergreen Facebook site. So there's actually, apparently this is still being used. You put that in there. So when you put new wine into um, the, the new skin, the, the, the wine is going to expand, and, and, then the, and then the skin will expand. But if you try to put the new wine in the old wine skin, it's already done its expansion, and it's going to break. And so it's an interesting t- teaching because he's comparing what he's doing to putting new wine and needing new wineskins. And what I take that as being is that we need to be ready to receive the teaching of Jesus. We need to be ready to, to, fit, to move, to fit what he wants to teach us. We can't just keep going on the same way that we've always been going. It's interesting because our church... Uh, this is, I think it's an, a challenging teaching because our church is a conservative church. And by conservative, I mean that we hold to the traditional biblical morality. We don't just go with what uh, the society tells us. We hold to, we believe the Bible is true. We believe that the miracles described in it really happened. We believe that Jesus really came as a human being, that he died and he rose again. And this puts us somewhat at odds with our culture. And um, and so, so that's, and that, and that can be, and of course that's a good thing. There's truths that uh, do not change with, t- with time. And uh, you can see that Jesus himself is that way. Um, one thing we're going to look at on Sunday, he talks about loving God and loving our neighbor as the basic two commands. That was what the Old Testament taught. That's what Jesus taught. But sometimes um, when we're conservative, we can fall into what I might call the conservative trap. Because not everything that we want to conserve should be conserved. Not everything that we are doing now is the absolute truth. Not what, Where we are as a people is not always identical with that. And so we need to be ready to change. Our church needs to be ready to change. I'll give you an example uh, from my own life. So in uh, South Dakota, I had some neighbors who were, who were uh, Assemblies of God pastors. So as they called them, the, the husband and the wife, and the husband was the pastor proper, you might say. And uh, for a long time, I kind of thought, you know, I need to teach them how to be Presbyterians. And I just said, I have some things to contribute to their lives. And, uh, but, you know, then I had a change of heart, and I realized that I also had some things to learn from some other people. And uh, so I approached them in a different way. We actually got together with them and began talking with them more. And I realized, like, you know, even though... Uh, I might not agree with all their positions. One thing I can say about them is they have a sense of the spirit and presence of God in their lives that I need to learn. And it was like the Lord was teaching me, you know, you don't know everything. You need to make some adjustments. You need to grow new wine for new wineskins. Even though the truth is absolute, our grasp of the truth is not always there. 
And we can see this um, from what happens in the New Testament. It's not, it's, it's not, the Bible is infallible, but we are not. And so we always need to have, be ready to have Jesus challenge us. And really, this is what happened to Jesus' opponents. They were the conservatives. They were the, peop- they were the Christian right of their day, you might say. They, they had a morality that we would agree with over against their opponents. They were serious about church. They were, um, they, they were against idolatry. They believed in the Bible. I mean, a lot of things that we would say, this is the right thing. But yet, they still stumbled over the key thing, which was Christ himself. And it's interesting, um, Reinhold Niebuhr, a theologian from whom I've learned quite a bit, noticed that, said in some ways, Jesus had to be a disappointment. Not because in and of itself he was bad or anything, but because our expectations are never fully aligned with God's and in many ways fall short. So Christ had to, in some ways, be a stumbling block. And in other words, if he hadn't been, then it would have basically been a full authentication that, that the people of his day were absolutely correct in everything they thought, which would, of course, be a falsification of what the Bible says. So he had to be a stumbling block. And in some ways, he's always going to be a stumbling block for us. He's going to keep challenging us. You know, not in the sense that we're going to reject him like they did, but in the sense that we've got to be recognized that Jesus may want us to pour some new wine into new wineskins. So, <clears throat> there, uh, this, this, uh, this teaching of Jesus on new wine and new wineskins, it sort of uh, becomes an axiom for us to recognize that we always need to grow, that we need to keep pushing further in, that we may need have things in our lives that need to be adjusted to receive what Jesus wants to do. Because, and so just here's a few applications of the way I thought about it. New, new ideas are generally rejected. You know, it's interesting, you know, religious people are accused of being narrow-minded, but if you study the history of science, you see that almost every new discovery was ridiculed when it was made. And, uh, you can see that, that both religious dogma and rationalism tend to reject anything that seems new without you know, patience and listening. It can be true. Um, uh, Matthew Henry says, applied this to young believers and difficult yokes that we don't want to put too much onto the new believer. Um, you can see that the early church presented something new, and, it, and there was a big reaction to it. And Gamaliel, one of the leaders of the Jew, challenged them to say, let's see what happens. Let's listen to this. And uh, let's see if it's really not of God. It should fall of its own accord like so many others are. He was recognizing that there may be new ideas. When at the time of the Reformation, the church had a hard time embracing new ideas, new ideas that challenged the way it had been done. We can say the Roman Catholic Church was conservative. They held to a lot, of the, a lot of things that we would agree with, but they had absolutized almost everything that they did, and a lot of that needed to be correct, corrected, and the Reformation brought that about, correcting a lot of those things. 
and the Reformation continues to need to be challenged in a variety of ways. We need to let Jesus challenge us. Um, and you can see this, for example, when, in missions. Um, one of the things that happened in 19th century missions was, was good in the sense that pe- people went beyond their borders to actually bring the gospel to other countries. But so often they wanted to make, they, they not only wanted to make them Christians, they wanted to make them Western, European. So in order to, to have a church in the middle of Africa, they not only had to bring the Bible and translate it and preach it, but they had to import their organ from Europe in order to be able to have a church, which was not at all essential to it and probably indeed a, a hindrance. And so we need to recognize our own general resistance to new ideas and forms. We should be slow to speak, swift to listen, slow to wrath. And we also recognize that even the old truth needs to be continually brought forth in new forms and new power. The Spirit is working. He continues working in ways above what we would think. And um, one of the things... I read a, a story of a man from China. And so we can say China's like the new wine in the new wineskins because it's a place where the gospel really hadn't been and flourished. And it was, in many ways, somewhat different uh, with their house churches and their, their networks that they raised up, but the Lord was using it. But then as they, as they got into contact with the Western world, they, some of them became Presbyterians, some of them became Charismatics, and they, they brought in all the debates that, that uh, we had had as they, they had been isolated and kind of just followed Christ, and, and then they brought in all these debates, and they started de- debating, and uh, it brought in some, some division. But what was interesting is they had a meeting of a lot of their leaders, and they just started washing each other's feet, and, and they began saying, you know, we need to to not let these things hinder us in our unity in Christ. And so it was a beautiful thing. New wine for new wineskins. So I just think that this is sort of the thing that should challenge us at every time is, you know, what is the Lord doing? Do we need to, do we need to get some new wineskins that are enabled to receive what Jesus is teaching us? Are there things in our lives that need to be adjusted? It's a hard question because so much of what we build around us is what gives us comfort. But that's not always what Jesus has us. He often puts us in a place of discomfort and challenge, and we need to be ready for that. New wine for new wineskins. I think it's a, a little teaching, you know, just a little statement, but one that continually challenges us. So that was the third thing in the chapter, and uh, the first one for tonight, new wine for new wineskins. And then um, let's talk then about the last one, which has to do with the Sabbath. So the disciples were walking around on the Sabbath day, which was the day that was set aside for the worship of God. And they, um, and they, they, had, they were basically taking the kernels of the grain have you ever done this? Have you ever has anybody here ever picked wheat? You actually take it and you rub it, and then you actually eat those kernels. So I recommend it. 
It's actually pretty good. <laughs> so, so I've had the chance to do that. We had a farmer in our um, previous church, and he had a wheat farm. And we got a lot of his wheat, but we'd go through there and grab those kernels. That's what they were doing. So do you remember doing that, Hope? I'm reading it, okay. So that's what they were doing. Now, it seems pretty, I mean, if you think about something that seems innocuous, something that's not real, a bunch of a problem, just grabbing some grain heads and rubbing them and eating the grain, no big deal. Well, the Pharisees were were offended by this. And they said, why are you doing, why are your disciples doing what is not lawful or what is unlawful on the Sabbath day. And, and, and so he might have said, what? <laughs> no, but he knew. Because, because what had happened with the Sabbath is this idea of not working had become like a, 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 an extreme focus for, for the people of his day in terms of ceremonial cleanness. Um, one, one, if you want to read on a, uh, one book on the life of Jesus and the Gospels, um, is Alfred Edersheim's The Life and Times of Jesus. It's available online or in an inexpensive reprint from Hendrickson Publications. Excellent stuff. He was a Jew, but he was converted to Christianity. But he was also an amazing scholar, kind of representing the best of 19th century German scholarship. And uh, so he brought to that, and he, he talks about the kind of things that they... The, what what they thought of as what being lawful. He describes it. He says, if a man wished to move a sheaf on his field, you know, bound grain, which of course implied labor, he had only to lay upon it a spoon that was in common use when in order to remove the spoon, he might also remove the sheaf on which it lay. So that's how you that's how you move your sheep. And then it wasn't work. And yet it was forbidden to stop with a little wax the hole in a cask by which the fluid was running out or to wipe a wound. So these were part of the things that they considered unlawful. So they had a giant list of what's lawful and what's um unlawful. And it's interesting like almost it seems like the Sabbath in particular readily becomes this sort of what's work, what's not work. Um, and I remember I went to, I moved to to Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I started getting interested in Reformed theology, which is what our church holds to. And I found that, uh, that well, there was, not, it wasn't just like this monolithic group. It was all kinds of people who didn't like each other and had all sorts of debates. And I remember I went to to uh, the the home of a friend of mine, and then we went over to her neighbors, and we just were having a discussion about a variety of things, and um, and they were from one of the one of the smaller churches there, and they said, "Yeah, we're really upset about how things have gone. The the larger churches, you know, have gotten so liberal," and I said. You know, I was kind of like, I was kind of thinking the same thing at that time. And uh, and still probably would agree with that to some extent. But, and so I'm kind of like, you know, yeah, okay. So, well, so what do you, what do you, what does that look like to you? And he says, for example, they change their clothes on Sunday after church. And I was like, oh, 
Okay, so that's the liberalism. But you see that, so this exact same thing can happen. And we can get so many rules. You know, and, but let's, let's not look down on them. I mean, truly, we, anything that people differ from us on, we readily can have discussed at. If they, if they don't like the same things we like, if, we, if they do things differently, you know, we're ready to judge them. It's just part of human nature in a fallen world where we have pride. But the Sabbath seems to be like a magnet for this stuff. Um, so, so Jesus speaks to them and he gives them a contrary example. And he says, you remember David uh, when he was hungry? He went into the Holy of Holies and got the bread. And now nobody was supposed to do that and nobody was supposed to eat that bread except the except the priests. And he said, if he could do that, you know, why are we making a big deal out of, grain, out of them taking heads of grain? And so, um, but he uses this to make a larger point. The first thing I want to say, one thing that Jesus doesn't say is that he doesn't say there's no Sabbath. There's, he doesn't say there's no Sabbath. And that's, in our day, there's also kind of a reaction against this and so, you know, it's I can do whatever I want and with all my time, and I don't need to devote time to the Lord. But I think God has created us so that in such a way that we need to devote a certain amount of time to the Lord. And he's established it from the beginning of the world as one day in seven, and, and uh, that is now on the Lord's day. Now, um, so I think that that's uh, what the Lord wants us to do is to devote a day to the Lord. But we need, some, we need some principles to help us not turn it into what the Pharisees turned it into. Because as soon as we do that, what do we say? Well, can I do this and this and this and this? What about this person? You know, and then you get into that. So two, <coughs> two principles. One that Jesus describes here One, he says, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So in other words, it's whatever we say about the Sabbath, it's got to preserve not just the basic bare existence of human beings, but their their well-being. So for example, like if we're going to take it in an absolute sense, don't work, you know, except for what's absolutely necessary, the disciples could have continued living without eating on, on the Sabbath, right? So it wasn't absolutely necessary or they would die, you know, uh, even though we say this, right? Like, I got to eat or I'm going to die, right? It, we're not really going to die. So, um, so it, but it, it's what's to make man not just barely exist, but exist well, enjoying food, enjoying you know, fellowship and company and, re- and refreshment and recreation, it's not destructive of man. And so anything that, that tends in that direction, we've got to be cautious about. So I think that, like, stops the gap. It says, you know, let's, let's be careful about going too far and, and judging where other people are. It's for man as well-being. But then the second principle is that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And the word Lord doesn't just mean that he's in charge of it. It means that 
He's the owner of it. That's why we call it the Lord's Day. And of course, Jesus owns everything. But we say this is his day in particular. And so, <clears throat> it's for him. And, and what it should, we should say is, this is a day in which I have to, to, to focus a little more on the Lord Jesus. I get busy. That's why we set aside our work. It's not just for, because work is bad. Work is good. But because we can devote ourselves to other things. And so we spend time focusing on Jesus. That's why I encourage people to say, think about not just having time at church, but when you go home, you know, what's some ways that you can bring Jesus into the rest of your day? Because he's the Lord of the Sabbath. So it's about Jesus, but it's not to the destruction of man. It's not like we've got to go around whipping ourselves or going without food or water and so on. We, should, we can do the basic things that preserve life and its wellness and wholeness but with a focus on the Lord. And that's not, that's not necessarily easy to define exactly where those lines are. We may like that, but Jesus kind of sets out these principles which guard us from going on one side or the other and calls us back to himself and says, hey, every week, come back to me, come back to me, come back to me. And so we see in all of these that Jesus really does have some amazing teachings that just are so wide-ranging, but yet, you know, so incisive as well that call us back to him, call us to his forgiveness, call us to experience what he wants us to do for us, to to see ourselves as needing him as a healer. And uh, it's truly a beautiful thing. So let's take those into our hearts. Let's make them more of a part of our lives. Let's let that shape our thinking. That's why he gives it to us in this little forms that we can remember so they can more and more shape our lives. Thus may it be.
with the players eating off their screens. Oh. The Battle of Overwatch. Yeah, you could do the... Yes, the flying. It's exactly like it, but except for the matter of bottom screen, you can't tell how bad it's
Lasciate mi cantare con la chitarra in mano. Lasciate mi cantare. You know the song that way. Buongiorno Italia, gli spaghetti al dente. È un partigiano come presidente. Con l'autoradio sempre nella mano destra. Un canarino sopra la finestra. Buongiorno Italia con i tuoi artisti, con troppa America sui manifesti, con le canzoni, con amore, con il cuore, con più donne sempre meno suore. Buongiorno Italia, buongiorno Maria. What? Yes. 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 That's a song by a baritone singer. Buongiorno Italia, buongiorno Maria. Con gli occhi pieni di malinconia, buongiorno Dio, lo sai che ci sono anch'io. Lasciatemi cantare con la chitarra in mano, lasciatemi cantare una canzone piano piano. Lasciatemi cantare perché ne sono fiero. Sono un italiano, un italiano vero. Buongiorno Italia che non si spaventa, e con la crema da barba la menta, con un vestito gessato sul blu, e la moviola la domenica in tv. Buongiorno Italia col caffè ristretto, con che amore di primo nasceto. Con la bagnere tintoria, non se gente più di malocheria. 
Buongiorno Italia, buongiorno Maria, con gli occhi pieni di malinconia, buongiorno Dio, lo sai che ci sono anch'io. Lasciatemi cantare con la chitarra in mano, lasciatemi cantare una canzone piano piano, lasciatemi cantare perché ne sono fiero. En el foso de la orquesta, en la pared tu foto cuelga. La mía se esconde tras tu espalda delgada, en donde solía yo poner mis brazos. Ahora te escondes al verme llorar. Mi nombre escrito.